everybody. Welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening, and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Good morning, friends. Today we're finishing our sermon series on the Bible Top 5. We've been exploring the scriptures that are most searched for, most clicked on, most shared widely. We've been looking at the misunderstandings that can arise from searching for a single verse in scripture and how easily we can turn that scripture to meet our needs rather than letting the scripture speak for itself. It's easy to do. We find ourselves in daily places of challenge, not sure how to go, ahead, go forward, not sure how to make sense of our worlds, and in searching for a bet of relief, For peace, we go to the Word of God for comfort and strength, which is exactly the right impulse. But when we snatch a verse here or there, pulling it out of its larger context, we can risk missing the full meaning of the verse. The past few weeks, Pastor Tim has led us through the past um, scriptures that have been um, meaningful to folks, and we're discovering that the true meaning of the verses that we're looking at is actually better than the misunderstandings. There is great news in this series. So today, we come to the number one most searched verse, and it's likely not a surprise. Even if you've never read the Bible, it's possible that you have seen this verse posted somewhere, maybe on a bumper, on a bumper sticker or on somebody's fridge. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is a great verse. I can see why we love it. Prosperity, hope, no harm, planning for the future. Sounds like God might want me to be rich or to have everything that I think I need for my future. Sounds like he's got a plan right in line with how I'm planning for my future, right? Maybe. Let's read a little bit more around this verse. And as we do, listen closely for key words and phrases that might root this verse in a slightly different place than we've been aware. So open your Bibles, click on your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. And as you do, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, which goes forth like seeds planted in the ground. Lord, we ask that your word would be planted deep in our heart this morning, that it would bear fruit that we would fall more deeply in love with you. Lord, we want to listen for your voice this morning. Soften our hearts, give us ears to hear. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's good 
to have a plan. It seems like for the past few months we've been making plans, waiting for plans. Some of you have been pouring over plans, plans to reopen your businesses, plans that we're waiting for from our schools and colleges and universities. Each of us attempts to make a plan each day to keep us sane and healthy. And we carry around with us all kinds of plans, health plans, work plans, reopening plans, school plans, financial plans. It's helpful to have a plan. Plans provide an anchor. And living in a time right now where we have no idea what the end point looks like, having a plan helps us stay grounded. Every evening as a family, we get together and we ask the question, so what's the plan for tomorrow? We have a teenager now in our house who gets to craft a little bit more of his own life through his own plan. And I tell him every morning, what's your plan for the day? And text me if it changes. While it's good to have a plan, we're also aware that plans can change. We're very aware in this time that plans are constantly changing. We know that whenever our governor gets up to speak, we can expect the plan to change. So here we come to Jeremiah 29, 11, and we read that God has a plan for us. And that sounds great. We read further that God has good plans for us, plans that will prosper us and help us and give us hope. And we think, wonderful. That is wonderful news. This is a great verse. If I were to pick a verse to put on my refrigerator or to put on yours, this would be an admirable choice. God has a plan for me. It helps me to know this. I love that. We don't have this particular verse, by the way, on our fridge but we kind of have the Holtz translation of it. It's a bit shorter and easier to remember. Stop freaking out. It's the New International Holtz version of Jeremiah 29, 11. We make plans so we don't freak out. Plans help us move from chaos to clarity, from confusion to hope. So let me ask you this. How have your plans gone this summer? How are the plans for the fall shaping up for you? Our kiddos were supposed to start school tomorrow. Um, Now it's next week, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what the plan is. But when God speaks through Jeremiah to the people of Israel and tells them that he has a plan for them, a good plan, what does that mean? Are God's plans like our plans? Does he want the same things for me that I want? When I envision a prosperous and hopeful future for myself, does God see the same things that I see? Fortunately, Jeremiah 29, 11 is rooted in a story and a context that can help us understand what is going on here. There are four quick things, I think, that you need to know about Jeremiah 29, 11 before you fall in love with this verse. First, the people of Israel are in exile. When Jeremiah writes these words from the Lord to the people of Israel, they are in captivity. They are a conquered people. They have been forced from their homes to live in Babylon. They are not free to live the lives that they want to live. They are in unfamiliar territory. They are with unfamiliar gods. They are not happy about their circumstances. They want to go home. If we simply just read the sentence before Jeremiah 11 to give us a little bit more insight, we hear that the Lord's good plan for them is that they won't be going home, not for a long time. The key words in verse 10, 70 years. That's a long time, almost a lifetime. The Lord's good plan, we realize, is not at all 
the good plan that Israel has for themselves? God's answer here is no. Sometimes God says no. Jeremiah 29, 11 is the presentation of a different plan than theirs. It's a no to their plan and an invitation to listen to God's plan. So I I just need to check. Do you still want this verse on your fridge? Second, it seems that exile was not an afterthought, but part of God's good plan for them. Wait, what? You see, if we read beyond verse 11, we come across something quite uncomfortable in verse 14. Key phrase, I, God, carried you into exile. Now, the people of God know the Exodus story of God carrying them out of slavery and bondage and into freedom, but this is new. God has carried them into Babylon, into captivity. His good plan includes an exile moment. So again, I'm just checking. Do you want to hear the plan of God for your life? It might not be exactly what you're hoping for. Before you post this verse on your Facebook page, know that sometimes God's plans for us might involve a time-out corner. And that time-out corner might be a place where God says, get comfortable, settle in. You're going to be here a while. So if God has a time-out in mind for you, you're good, right? I'm just making sure. Third, let's talk about this word prosper. I do not think this word means what you think it means. God's plan is to prosper you. Yes. But the Hebrew word here is the word shalom. And sometimes it's translated prosperity. That's right. But it can also be translated peace, well-being, welfare, health, safety, right relationship. It's a word rooted in relationship, not stuff or wealth. Our Western culture has nurtured us to think of prosperity as individual happiness on my terms, with the life I want, with the things that I want, fully independent of anyone else. But shalom is not about prosperity in the sense of an accumulation of wealth and health. Rather, it means a deep sense of wholeness when one is rightly related to God and neighbor. So we'll have to move our images of Tahiti, the mountain chalet, the secluded beach house off the screen. Any picture of paradise that you have put in your mind, something that you're reaching for that allows us to exit this world, push those aside. We'll need to replace those pictures with a relationship with the God of the universe and with the people in our families and even the guy next door. This word shalom cuts us off from any escape route that we might dream of to get away from it all. It calls us to bloom right where we're planted. You know, like you're going to need to learn to enjoy your next door neighbor for like the next 70 years. That's a little bit more in line with what shalom means. All that to say that our idea of prosperity is likely pretty different than what God means when he uses the word prosperity. So again, I'm just checking, I'm just checking. Do you still want to put this bumper sticker on your car, which now might be a Ford Pinto instead of your dream car? And finally, perhaps if we read this whole passage, we learn that this verse is actually not about you. 
and it's not about me. Shock, right? The scripture is first and foremost about God and about God's story. It's not about us. It's mostly about who God is. This is a passage more about the richness of being attached to the God of Israel than about getting the things that we want for our lives that make us secure for the future. Okay, so I'm sorry that I might be wrecking this perfectly beautiful verse for you. But I promise by the end of this sermon, you still might want it as your life verse. Just not for the reasons that you initially thought. So, if Jeremiah 29.11 is not about getting what you want, what's it about? Jeremiah 29.11 in context is about trusting God's design for our lives. Especially in the places that we didn't plan to be and the places that we don't want to be. It's about acknowledging our need for God and being vulnerable and responsive to him always. And the other piece that's really difficult to get at in this passage is that it's not about the happiness and prosperity of the individual. We're, we're cultivated to be fiercely independent in our Western ways, to not need anything or anyone. But this passage has a clear call to dependence on God in the context of the community of the people of God. The you here is plural. It's not singular. So I know the plans I have for you all, not just you alone. So to enjoy this verse, we really need to hear it in the context of the gathered church. We all need to receive this together. God has a great plan for all of us together. So let's walk back through our passage, starting with verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. It begins with a prolonged exile. The people want to leave Babylon immediately, of course. Jeremiah prophesies that it's going to be 70 years. That's hard to hear. If you read earlier in the chapter, you'll find out that there are other prophets around telling the people that it's only going to be two years and then they're out of here. That's a much better plan and most of the people are leaning into those prophetic voices, the two-year voices. Two years is tolerable, but 70 years? That means two, maybe three generations of children will be born in a place that they don't want to be. Some of them won't be leaving exile, but will be raising their children, and their children will be raising their children in a place of captivity. How can that be God's good plan for his people? And what does it mean that God is allowing his people to be in this place for Babylon? Why would God do anything for Babylon? They don't know him. They don't acknowledge him. They're not his people. How is it possible that God is doing something for the city of Babylon? God just might be calling them to be light and life for the city where he has brought them. Then we come to verse 12, right? Our favorite verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So now we read this verse again, and does it feel any different? We know 
that God's plans for us sometimes include a prolonged stay in a place that we would rather not be. And somehow, somehow, our extra time in that miserable place will not only be for our own good, but for the good of others, the good of the city, the good of our children and the next generation. The future here seems to be further out. It's about the generations to come, not just about me. So it looks like God is the God of exodus and rescue, and there are times when God rescues us and, and, and takes us out of bondage. But God is also the God of exile, where he forms us and shapes us over a long period of time in a place that it's really hard to be. But let's read on. What is this great plan that God has for us? Verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God's plan is to be found. To put a finer point on it, God's plan is to be found by you and me and us. There isn't another plan. For 52 chapters and 40 years, Jeremiah speaks to the people of God, the word of God, and mostly the people have not listened. Throughout Jeremiah's prophetic life, the words he speaks from God are mostly about judgment, about the people's disobedience, and about God's displeasure with his people because they don't know him anymore. Jeremiah is mostly ignored, rejected. He's threatened because he doesn't speak happy, prosperous words that are uplifting. Sometimes God's word is hard, and it doesn't immediately seem hopeful. Sometimes we can't hear God's voice because our voices are too loud. Sometimes it takes hardships, pandemics, relational brokenness, severe disorientation to be in a place to hear the voice of God. Our hardness of heart and our addiction to our own comfort are very powerful. Sometimes we are part of the problem. But God continues to speak. Listen to what God reveals about himself through Jeremiah to his people in exile in just these four verses alone. God says, I will come to you. I will fulfill my good promise. I know the plans I have for you. I will be found by you. I will gather you from all the nations. I will bring you back. I carried you. The fact that God is still speaking 29 chapters into this thick book of doom and gloom is nothing short of miraculous. And it teaches us something really important about God. God wants to be heard. He wants to be known. God reveals himself to us over and over. God keeps his promises. God never abandons his people. Even when it feels like God has left the scene, God is there. And God is right here. God pursues us. He pursues you. God wants to be found. We gravitate 
to Jeremiah 29, 11, because in this section, and it's a very small section of a very large book, Jeremiah's tone lights up like a bright light in a very dark place. And you have to read the whole book just to get a sense of how bright that light is. These are the words of God who never gives up on us. His love and faithfulness are steadfast and eternal. These scriptures teach us about a God who loves this world that he made. He loves the people that he's created. His heart breaks over the ravaging of sin and death in this world. But he never gives up. And he never leaves us alone. God consistently calls us back to relationship with him and to find our healing in the very place we don't want to be. And somehow, in that messy, miraculous meeting with God, the light of God spills out from us for others to see, for Babylon, for our children, for their children and the generations to come. Seventy years is a long time to be where you don't want to be. But God doesn't seem too concerned about time. He's patient. If it takes a lifetime for us to wake up to him, he will pursue us. He will pursue you. In fact, we read that in the fullness of time, God sent not a map of how to get out of Babylon, but he sent a person. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus right into the middle of our exile, right into the place we were, but that we are where we don't want to be. And Jesus says, follow me. That's the plan. I don't know how your exile feels right now, but I'm guessing it feels pretty difficult. Ultimately, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a call to prayer. It's a call to seek the Lord with our whole heart. It's a call to be vulnerable and honest. It's a call to lifelong relationship with a God who loves you and pursues you. Pastor Mandy Smith writes this about prayer. God wants to hear our need in all its wordless groaning, in all the color of feeling. Prayer normalizes need and God can take it. God wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. You know, our plans, our plans are many. Our attempts to carve out a rich and satisfying life in this world are endless, but truly only one thing is needed to open ourselves up to the marvelous and graceful plan of God for our lives. As we're open to what God has for us, it affects the city where we live. It affects our children and their children, the next generation. What God pours out on us is meant to go forth, to go out, to bless a world that needs to know him. Follow me, Jesus says, for I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God, we are so grateful 
that you look beyond our lives to the future, that you see what's coming, and that you use us right where we are to care about, to bless, to show your love to those around us and to others. God, our plans are so shaky, but you are sure, and we want to follow you. We want to walk with you. We want to know you. Lord, we want you to know us. Find us today in the places where we are. Let us be open to what you have. Thank you, Lord, that you are so near. Receive our heart prayers this morning, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.